Welcome to Lacrosse Classified on the LAX All-Stars Podcast Network. Your home for the latest news from the National Lacrosse League and Indoor Lacrosse. Now, let's talk some lacrosse with your hosts, Jake Elliott and Evan Schemenauer. What's going on, lacrosse fans? Tuesday, Lacrosse All-Stars Podcast Network. You found us once again. It's Lacrosse Classified, episode number 74 here. 74 episodes. Jake Elliott, Evan Schemenauer back with you. I I can't believe we're at 74, Evan. It doesn't seem all that long ago that we fired this thing up. Uh, welcome back to Lax Class. Thanks for, for joining me. How's things going in Saskatoon, my friend? Snowing like crazy. Snowing? <laughs> Snowing like we We've probably had, what, 8, 10 inches of snow in the last couple of days? Uh, just... We're in Canada, Evan. Uh, use your I know. use your uh, metric system. Okay, 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 okay. Basically, it would be about uh, twenty to twenty-five centimeters. Okay. So, uh, in the last in, in the last couple of days here, Al, it's been uh, been interesting. Uh, Tracy's already bored of being in the house. I guess I'm a mm. little lucky in that I'm working most of the day, so. Mm-hmm. It doesn't bother me as much, but, uh, well, first off, let's start with this. Okay. Happy almost 50th birthday. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, when this comes out, it will, in fact, be my my birthday. I- I'm still a few years away from the big five zero. thank you very much. But, uh, yeah, I appreciate that, man. I didn't even think about that. I'm, so, you know, we're recording so, here on Monday, and it's just another day to me. But uh, I guess tomorrow is uh, the full rotation around the sun, mm-hmm. as my friend Brock Rose likes to say. Well, maybe what you got to do is, because you're stuck in the home coronavirus, mm-hmm. right? COVID-19. you gotta you got to down 19 coronas just nah. for your birthday. What the yeah. heck, right? You know, man, I, I don't even know if I could anymore. Like, back when I was in my... 20s like in my mid 20s like I could crush 20 beers like no problem and I'm not over exaggerating like I just I could put them back and and now like I rarely rarely drink like you see me have a drink in Saskatoon and that's probably my only drink of the week okay but it's a double or triple well (laughs) if you're gonna do it you want you might as well do it but uh I like I mean that's part of the reason is that it just takes me so much alcohol to even get to to a point where I feel like it's doing something. It's just not worth it to me. Empty calories as well, Evan. Now I, I got to watch the calorie intake and it's just not, uh, not worth it. No hangovers. No, I, I'm not, I don't know. I'm kind of done with alcohol, man. I know you, you've been off it for a long time and, and, and like, do you miss it? Almost 30 years. Yeah. yeah no, it'll, September 26th will be the 30th anniversary. Well, there um, you go. Congratulations, man. That's yeah. I, you and, know. uh, but, you know, to me, it was the first six months was difficult where I almost had to remove myself from the social scene. Sure. And then ever since that time, like people from most of my f- close friends understand exactly why I don't. Right. Because it was a problem. Yeah. And, um, you know, it uh, it it doesn't really bother them. It's like, you know, I'm still going to do my thing. I'm still going to be there and. Just no alcohol. Yeah, system. yeah, it's good. And I, I just mean, don't trust myself to ever go back. That's, well, that's the thing, right? yeah, that's probably the smart play. And uh, listen, there's 
<laughs> this is a lacrosse podcast, by the way. And there's listen, there's lots of people out there that are highly functioning people that like to drink a lot of alcohol. More power to them. It's just uh, not not my cup of tea. No judgment here. Obviously, uh, do what you want. Just be safe and uh, be reasonable. Be respectful. That's all. Uh, all we're asking here on Lax Class. Uh, great program. Yeah, it doesn't bother me when people drink around me. So no, no, I mean, no. Yeah. I mean, I was like that with smoking when I quit smoking. I could, I just could not be around it. Um, and now I'm, now I can be around it. I don't like it, but it is what it is. Anyway, Evan, let's get on track here, man, because we've got a great program coming up. We'll talk to the GM. Of the Vancouver Warriors, proud sponsors here on Lax Class in about 20 minutes from now. Dan Richardson will join the program once again. We'll look forward to a chat with big Dan. And then uh, we're going to go off to the board here a little bit. We've been talking about this for a couple of weeks. Uh, Steve Holroyd from Retrolax Films is going to join us. Lacrosse historian, box lacrosse historian here, Evan, and he's been a big help with us while we've gotten through this March Madness Who You Got tournament. And uh, now we're into the pre-90s bracket here, 90s and previous, so you can go back a ways here, and that's exactly what we'll do. Uh, So Steve's going to join us, and I think what we're going to do here, Evan, I'm just kind of telling you this right now, but I think what we'll do, we'll we'll do our who we had here. We'll break down the 90s bracket momentarily. Then we'll talk to Dan. And then in quarter three, we'll do under review and quick sticks in quarter three. And then quarter four, we'll just have Steve on as a guest and go through the who you got bracket with him. You cool with that? Yeah, but I also got a few questions I'd like to ask him. No, yeah, that, absolutely. So. <laughs> and we're going to do that as well. Um, so, again, we'll kind of make it a double dip. We'll go to overtime maybe here on episode 74 of Lacrosse Classified this week. So look forward to that. Dan Richardson, Steve Holroyd coming up. And uh, I just wanted to get his website in there as well, Evan, because I know he's got he's kind of got two things. He's got uh, the Retrolax, and he's got, as I fill my, uh, <laughs> my timeline up here, looking for his website, Cross Check Lacrosse is what his website is for all your kind of historian historical needs uh, from Pro Box Lacrosse. So, anyways, um, let's get into Stampede Tax. Who we had and the folks at Stampede Tax in Western Wear, Evan, they know that people are going through a tough time right now, and they couldn't be more aware of it. And Kevin is always so engaged with us, and and that's what we really love about him is that he's always kind of giving us updated information. He plays who you got and, and he's always kind of staying in touch with us, which we love. So uh, they wanted to let you know that many of you in lacrosse community, whether it's a mom, a dad involved in my lacrosse somewhere across North America, or even currently in the national lacrosse league are possibly a first responder, a medical professional or someone else on the front lines fighting COVID-19. And we want to say thank you. On behalf of Stampede Tack and Westwear and Lacrosse Classified, thank you. We've been ringing our cowboy. I know I've been doing this as well, Evan, getting out on the deck and clapping at 7 p.m. every night. Uh, we all, they also want to thank, and we also want to thank everyone that is still working in an essential job, truckers, grocery clerks, transit workers, countless others um, that are continuing to kind of keep keep us going here through this pandemic. So thank you to everybody that that's still getting it done, especially our first responders on behalf of Stampede Tech and Lax Class. 
Okay, Evan, 1990s bracket here and uh, a couple of close votes and a couple of not-so-close votes. Where do we begin? We begin with the 1991 Turbos going up against the 1997 Shamrocks. This thing was a complete blowout right from the get-go. I think Shamrock fans have maybe shown up at the voting stations a little more than most other teams, Evan. Over 100 votes again here for the Shamrocks as they get it done. 76% as the Turbos were never really in this thing. What did Freddie Jenner say they would beat the, beat the spandex, spandex off them? Yeah, they wore <laughs> spandex back in 91. That was a good one. Actually, I think the first 19 votes were all in the hands of the Shamrocks. So, uh, yeah, over with very, very quickly. But, if, you know, a Detroit Turbos team, maybe one of the factors is that with no team in Detroit today, that might be a factor. Could be, could be, and just uh, young. Well, I mean, it came down to this: a young Gary Gate against a Gary Gate in his prime, and no contest, right? Mix in a Marichek in there as well. So, uh, ninety-seven Shammies, they move on. They will take on the winner of. 1995 Chiefs and 1995 Wings. This was also not a very close vote, Ev, as uh, the Chiefs win this one 75%. So now we got a team that was 76% to win and a team that's 75% to win. 95 Chiefs will take on. As they take out the 95 Wings, they couldn't get it done. So we'll have an all-Canadian matchup in the Sweet 16, Chiefs and Rocks. That's going to be a dandy. Yeah, and those Wings fans, I mean, I was surprised that they got beat up badly in both their matchups so far. So, I don't know. Yeah, well. Uh, those Wings fans are high in that. Well, those people <laughs> out there listening, you know, obviously all of us kind of follow the team account. I don't know why the team accounts are not retweeting to get their fans on board for this vote, Evan. It's beyond me why somebody running that social media account wouldn't just say, hey, you know, Wings Nation. We got a vote here. Simple. Just put your finger on the screen and you're done. Uh, but I don't know. Some teams are kind of. I mean, Peterborough, Victoria, they're retweeting. Uh, we've seen Calgary do, but the rush did it. Yeah, yeah. rush. Some some do, some don't, and, and it could cost you as we move into the later rounds. Let's move on to our next matchup, Evan. Ninety-two. This was much closer than I thought it was going to be. 92 Bandits against the 91 Salmon Bellies, Evan. And the Bandits squeak this thing out 51%. Literally, if one person had voted the other direction, it would have been a tie. Huh? Literally that much. That's how close it was. Well, I, uh, I, I can only do so much. I know you too, Evan. I usually, one day I'll retweet him on Lax Class. The next day I'll retweet him from my account. I'll go back the next. I need to, you should get a couple of retweets in there as well. Get this thing because circulated through mm-hmm. the timeline on a daily basis, I think, is key. Well, what I've also done, though, is in the last day or two, if something's close, I'll actually put it up there saying, this is close. Not saying who's ahead. It's just saying, this is close. Get your vote in, right? Yeah, we're not trying to influence either way, but, uh, you know, the fans, again, Evan, uh, you can stand by your pick, but the fans are are the ones dictating who moves along here. Which you're about to stand by your pick, I take it? Yes, absolutely. No, I'm not. Uh, 90, what do we got here? 93, I... I was up close and personal with this 93 team. Maybe that's why my – but it was, again, it was a close vote here. What, it was a 56% as the 99 Rock move on. 
Well, I mean, the, the, the 99 Rock were close to my heart, but... Well, there you go. <laughs> it was a hell, heck of a team. It really was. Yeah. So, we both had... No, so now what do we have here? Uh, I can't... No, remember. that was the only one we were different on. Okay, so now... Yep. What was it? I was leading by three, back down to two now? Is that... Well, uh, I'm not even count. I don't even uh, count that because uh, like, I, I'm, sticking, just... I'm sticking by oh. my... <laughs> okay, so so just, just, just a recap here. <laughs> When the fans agree with you, then they're right. But when the fans don't agree with you, then they're wrong. Is that no? Is that, no so you're no, more or less calling our not, listeners uninformed listeners, Evan. You're saying no, that I'm they're not, wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But mm. I say I'm sticking by my pick. And since we can't actually play the game, we will actually never fully know who would win it. Okay. I'm up two after the '90s bracket uh, is complete. So I. Th- well, we got what? We got 12 out of the 16 teams in the Sweet 16, Evan. And some of these matchups that are coming up, I, this is going to be good stuff here as we move into the Sweet 16. Uh, and, and we'll punch those four, final four games uh, next week here. Well, this is where it really, really gets tough because – like there's a team from 1945 mm-hmm. in this practice. I remember right? it well, so, Evan. I remember it yeah. well. Well, uh, like I was saying, uh, yeah, your what 80th birthday coming up? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, that's what we got Steve on for. He'll help us immensely for that. Uh, but why don't we get to break here on episode 74 and let's get the boss of the Vancouver Warriors on the phone, Dan Richardson, will join us here on Lax Class when we return on the Lax All Stars Podcast Network. A Vancouver Warriors game at Rogers Arena sounds like this. Jones shoots and he scores! Diving effort from Mitch Jones. Nothing's monotone. Lee and Beers go crashing into the crease. Nothing's boring. Now we're going to have a fight. It's the captain squaring off. And at Vancouver Warriors games, loads up. Nothing's offside. Tries a shot and he scores! Experience it for yourself. Vancouver Warriors tickets are available now. Tickets starting from 1995. Visit VancouverWarriors.com slash tickets today. Hey, this is Kevin Crowley from the Philadelphia Wings. You're listening to Lax Clash, your go-to source for all things NLL and box lacrosse. Welcome back to Lacrosse Classified here on the Lax All-Stars Podcast Network. You just heard the Vancouver Warriors where nothing's offside. You can visit them at VancouverWarriors.com. And uh, we're going to talk to the general manager of the Vancouver Warriors right now if... Uh, I guess if we got any questions, you'll answer them. And, and, Dan, you can maybe let us know how things are going with the NLL Warriors. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, first things first, how are you and yours uh, keeping through this global pandemic that we're in? Well, first of all, thanks for having me back. And, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy times that uh, we're in, and we're, we're following all the uh, social distancing guidelines and trying to stay uh, healthy and uh, – uh, but it's it's a grind, and I unfortunately all the stuff I read and watch seems like we're going to be at this for a while. But who knows? Yeah, and and I guess kind of scary early days, especially for Canuck Sports and Entertainment, uh, with with a, a person being tested positive for COVID nineteen, and you guys were sent home almost immediately, and that was you know a few weeks ago, but. By talking with you just before coming on here, Dan, everybody okay? Nobody else uh, had had contracted the virus, and that that's got to be uh, relieving and and um, real lucky, quite frankly. 
Uh, yeah, uh, you know, the Canucks uh, sports entertainment were very quick to react and uh, everybody was told to work from home and that's where we stayed and we have uh, regular calls and uh, we got our emails and, um, you know, we've had, uh, we originally were going to do uh, bi-weekly calls with the players. We had one call and then we... We didn't want to have a second call if there was nothing new to update them, so we canceled last week's call, and and we'll we'll reconvene as soon as there's more information to share with them. But um, so right now we're in a we're in a holding pattern. And I guess from a, the league's perspective, is everything still really on the table as to do you play out the regular season? Do you go straight to the playoffs, or you know, what's the dynamic there? I guess at this stage, now that we're a few weeks in. Well, I mean, I, I I haven't been on the uh, the governor's calls, but my boss uh, has kept me informed, and and I think they're uh, going to be making some type of announcement uh, during the, this week. Now, I, I you know, I I would assume that it's probably something to do with the uh, regular season, but again, I'm not I'm not at those calls. I mean, I think that they've got. A whole different bunch of scenarios that they've talked about continuing the regular season with, uh, you know, um, maybe less games, uh, having some scenarios on playoffs with four teams, eight teams, 12 teams. And, you know, I, I think there's a, a whole bunch of different uh, ideas and scenarios that they're looking at. But, of course, they're really at the, um, you know, they really can't do anything until – Basically, the U.S. and Canadian government decide uh, that they're going to open the borders up because right now you can't, you can't. Uh, it's only um, what's the term for crossing the border? Essential. The uh, essential services, which you know, as much as we love sports, <laughs> we're not, we're not you tell service. you tell me lacrosse yeah. isn't a, it's essential in my life, Dan. I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean. You want to stay positive about this, but you know I was saying to Jake off air there, you just keep reading and hearing all this stuff on the on the news. So yeah, you, you look know. at the dates and 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 the sports getting canceled and it, and the the future. I mean, we're we're all going to get through this thing, but you start to look at at who's canceling what and who's postponing what, and and the light gets a little dimmer each day as as it goes by. I would say, but uh, you got to hold out hope that. Things are, are going to make the turn, and I know here in BC uh, we're we're kind of ahead of the curve a little bit. But anyways, Dan, let's let's get on to some lacrosse yep. talk here. And and sure. you know if if things if things do come to an end and the season does end where your last game ended, and that was in Saskatchewan, um, give me a, an overall letter grade on where you thought uh, your team ended up and you know like what were your expectations going into the year did you meet those did you underachieve did you do some things well give me the the general synopsis on on the half of the year that was well i i think that uh you know we had a good start to the season and uh, and after making some changes and bringing in you know uh nick Pelich, uh unfortunately that was uh you know uh, um Tough, a bad start, a tough start for us with Nick, and um, because we could see very quickly he was going to be a, a real good part of our uh, our defense. Um, as far as the season went, 
you know, we hit a lull there in, in the middle that uh, we weren't happy with. There were a couple games, the, the San Diego game, the 11-10 game, and there was one other that, uh, you know, we should have had e- easily in our record. Could have been, you know, instead of five wins, we could have easily been at seven or eight wins and, right, and been right in the hunt in the West. As you, as you know, the West was wide open. And so that wasn't, uh, that didn't happen. And so if you ask me to put a letter grade on it, CC plus, like we, we had expectations that we were going to compete with San Diego and, and, and um, Colorado for that, what, what we envisioned to be that third playoff spot. Um, as it turns out, I mean, Calgary didn't get off to a very good start, which opened, opened it right up in the mm-hmm. West. So, um, you know, we, uh, I, I think that we've made some positive changes. And, you know, if this is the end of the season for us, you know, we look forward to adding somebody like Brett Mitzke, who I, I look at that as being a first-round pick. And then, of course, we we will get back into the draft game. And we've already been working hard on uh, putting together lists from the information that we have so far. Uh, that was actually one of the things I was going to ask you about is you promised us at the last time we talked that you're keeping that first round pick. Yeah. You still got it. Um, what's the, what's the thought process behind uh, Is it, you're going to try and fill a need or is it an East versus West balance or is it you're taking the best player available at that stage? Well, you know, uh, so to answer the first question first, we, we are definitely keeping that pick. We've had a you know, when the trading deadline was starting to heat up there, we had, you know, a couple teams we were talking to and, and we're going to we were going to make some moves. Um, and people were asking again about that pick and, you know, politely we said no. So we're, we're going to we're going to we're going to keep that pick and in, in, in our second rounder and our third rounder. And, you know, we're going to continue to try and build this team with our drafts and, and our free agents. And if we have to, we'll trade people. And, uh, you know, we can't afford to stand pat and, uh, we've got to, we've got to make some changes. So as far as who, uh, that's yet to be determined, but we, we need improvements uh, in a bunch of areas. And, um, you know, so, uh, we have our meeting with our scouts and, and our coaching staff, um, you know, that'll be determined, but, uh, there's some good players available, and now that we're, you know, going to be if, if the if the season is indeed over, we're, then we're going to be drafting in that number three spot. Yeah, and that's you're going to get a real good pick in that number three spot uh, as we speak with Dan Richardson of the Vancouver Warriors and. Talking about building your roster down, well, the other thing you guys I think have done a pretty good job of in Vancouver is building your fan base. Is Evan and I have kind of made note of it here on Lax Class. We've seen the numbers for each home game kind of go up, and I think the entertainment value has gone up as well. And you guys continue to try and find ways. We saw the, the Biz Nasty promotion this year, which I thought was just fantastic. And you're always kind of pushing the envelope, looking for new ways to draw in fans. And how do you feel about the, the work that you've done there building the Warriors fan base? I can't say enough good things about the Canucks Sports and Entertainment uh, staff. They they push the envelope. They they know that uh, you know the millennials are are really the the, the fan base that we want to go after, and they've done a really good job of uh, attracting them. And uh, it's unfortunate that you know the the season uh, you know is on hold right now because there was a little bit of momentum happening there, and you know we were. 
you know, trying to make sure that we were holding up our end of the bargain and, and being competitive at home. Um, and, uh, you know, so there's some good things that were happening this year and hopefully we can build on that for, for the next few years because, um, the lacrosse loyalists are there, but we're, they've tapped into the, the new market, the millennials who like to come and like the style of play and the, certainly love the entertainment that, uh, the, uh, people at CSE, uh, are put on for them. Are you, are you going to give Bissonette another look, uh, in, in 2021? <laughs> well, that's, you know, that's above my pay grade to make that decision. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, I know the guys really enjoyed him, uh, when he did come out and, uh, you know, he, um, he's a very smart man and, you know, uh, people can say a lot of things about him, but he's a smart businessman. And, uh, I was very impressed in meeting him and, and working with him and, uh, um, so I, I hope that the, they find a way to get him back, but uh, that's that's above my pay grade to make that decision. Now, Fred Mitski's signing was, of course, the biggest move of the year. I think it was. Second biggest move of the year was probably releasing Aaron Bold. Jamie, take us through that decision. And was it so much of giving Eric Penny that boost that you're our guy at this stage? Uh, that was a big part of it is, is that – you know, uh, we just felt that uh, Eric was has been in the league uh, for a while and and needed to to, to know that uh, he had the confidence of his coaching staff and management and the players and we wanted to take that next step and and, and anoint him as as our number one goalie and uh, you know uh, I have all sorts of time for for Eric and we just have to. To, you know, provide a better defense in front of him so that he can, you know, um, have time to get himself set up. And, uh, you know, I think we were headed that way. But, uh, you know, you can't use uh, injuries as an excuse because every team faces those injuries. Where we have problems is, you know, we don't have the depth yet as other organizations have, but uh, we're certainly building towards that. And I like some of the additions that we we were able to add this year. Yeah, and I guess uh, another new addition, Dan, that you added comes behind the bench, and, and as you make a move there, Rory McDade no longer with the team, but you bring in a, an NLL Hall of Famer in, in Caleb Toth, uh, who has some coaching experience uh, in the NLL, but more so in the WLA as the head coach of the Nanaimo Timbermen, and this is a big addition. I, I've watched Caleb do some coaching, and uh, he, he runs pretty hot, and I think he's going to get the most out of these guys. What was the decision process behind hiring Niner? We just felt that we needed a, a, a bit of a change up front there. And, um, you know, I've uh, watched Caleb as a, as a, you know, in the Western Lacrosse Association and how he has taken that franchise and really – put it on put it on his back and, and develop those young players that they attracted over there and he's got a bit of fire and brimstone in him. I've heard him down the hallway and I've heard him uh, <laughs> yeah. you know on the bench and, and, and you know uh, not that I want our coaching staff to be like that 100% of the time but I think we you have to do that every once in a while to let them know um, you know that you're in charge and you're the guy with the whistle and uh you know, his, it's unfortunate that when we brought him in, the season came to a screeching halt because I was very impressed with his first practice that we had the day, pretty well the day we signed him. And 
came over and uh, his speech to the players when we introduced him. Um, I can't repeat it all on, on air, but uh, it got everybody's attention. So we're looking forward to that, yeah. Who are those one or two warriors that do you think that, uh, how can I put it, either underrated or fly completely under the radar and don't get noticed really as much as they should? Uh, Tyler Codron, you know, he, he's had a, he had a very good year for us and, uh, his leadership, you know, you know, during the games and on, you know, at practices, um, you can't really put a price on that. So I'm very impressed with Tyler and, um, you know, I, I, there's a couple guys that I think that, you know, finally have cracked the lineup that I think that, uh, they need some more uh, seasoning, but I, I, I see guys like uh, Roe and Claire yeah. um, adding to our defense. To, and once they get a little bit, little bit more confidence and, you know, and the good thing uh, is that they were able to get into the lineup and get, get a taste of what it was like. So I see a big upside for those, those two guys. And, uh, you know, the one that uh, started off really slow, new to the organization, but, hit his stride Lowen. in the middle of the season was Lowen. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's everything that uh, everybody said about him. And then Coach Gill raved about him. And, uh, you know, we went out and got him. And, uh, you know, he had a, a bit of a slow start, but I think he was just feeling himself both on and off the floor. But, uh, boy, by uh, mid-season there, he was just hitting his stride. And uh, so we're we're excited that we know that we have him. And, uh you know, he'll be in a, another piece to build around. Yeah, and if I could add to that, a big Roddy fan for sure. And and if I mean Lloyd to me really stood out for me. A, a nice draft pick that kind of emerged out of nowhere through camp and and really kind of pushed himself into the lineup. And and then Lyndon Bunio who kind of got his opportunity yeah. a little bit later. And you know, for me, was really noticeable when he was on the turf. Yeah, he's one of those guys again that. Uh, you give him uh, some confidence and got him into the lineup. And he's a guy that I'm sure most teams hate because he's an agitator. He's a loose ball hound and he can, he can bury from the dirty zone there. And he, and he sets good hard picks. He just works hard at everything that he does. So, I mean, that's it. That's a good thing. And, and Derek, uh, we just love Derek. He, he was banged up there. He had a wrist, uh, and his wrist was uh, not 100% there. So, but he uh, he was a gamer, and uh, you know those are the types of guys that uh, we're gonna you know build our depth on, and uh, that that's that, you know will will look well for us in the future. Of course, last summer you were still the GM also of the Salmon Bellies, and we saw this transition where a lot of the Warriors players came to new west and got to play with one another a little more often is it something that's still going to be pursued if there is a summer season this year yeah i mean that's probably a better question to ask i mean i I, i've i've maintained contact and i talked to to ray porcelato on an ongoing basis and uh you know he's made some acquisitions just before everything was was shut down in the nll but uh, I know that he's happy with uh, the, the guys that uh, uh, play both both with the bellies and with um, the Warriors. So I'm, I'm hopeful that will continue. And uh, um, but you know we've got 
you know, uh, guys. Now, obviously, we got a good core of guys in in, in Ridge. Yeah, what, uh, what's that going to be like for you, Dan? Now that you're you're solely the GM of the Vancouver Warriors, but you're you know you got belly blood running through you for the last two decades. But now you got players kind of spread out throughout the league. Are you going to be able to kind of like cheer for these teams, or are you just going to try and just pull for the guys more than anything? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I guess. I don't. Obviously, I'm going to be pulling for the players that wear the, the Warriors jersey in in the winter. But uh, I, you know, this is all going to be new to me. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it'll be different because uh, I'm not I'm not big on um, you know sitting still. So I'll be pacing. I, I usually pace back and forth for me to go sit in the stands. Uh, yeah, like I don't know if I've honestly have ever seen you sit in the stands. <laughs> I know exactly where to look for you in Queens Park every time I'm there. Yeah, so not having that tunnel to pace in, yeah. and that will be different. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I hope that uh, our, our uh, the teams in the WLA and, and the BC Junior League are going to survive this, and, and uh, I hope that there's – lacrosse in the summer but i you know again we're at the whim of the the governments especially in the summer league because all those buildings they play in are you know owned by the municipalities and so they're all closed up and locked up right now yeah well all we can do dan is is do our part stay home stay away from people wash your hands don't touch your face all that sort of stuff and if everybody does that uh the world's going to be a much better place a lot quicker uh be safe be well my friend and and appreciate you doing this and uh we'll look forward to the warriors getting back out on the turf uh hopefully sooner than later thanks very much and uh for to both your both of yours uh family and stay safe well evan uh we covered a lot in that uh 15 20 minutes there with with the warriors boss yeah there wasn't definitely was not a shortage of uh questions we asked and that's what I say. It's like, I don't know what we're going to talk about. I don't have any new information. Yeah. To talk, so don't worry. We'll, we'll, we'll come up with some things. <laughs> yeah. But maybe here's the way to, if this is the end of the season, to, to look at the Warriors is that first off, this was a building process. It remains a building process and they're building. Yeah. The other thing is, is that there's two keys to really building this team. One is a, having a team that is starting to improve that some of these guys closer to the end of the prime of their careers are going to want to come home and play too. And two, having the revenue base to actually be able to pay them. Right. Yeah. We saw the crowds go up. We saw the crowds definitely. That's the most encouraging thing to me. That's the most encouraging thing. With a few extra wins, you know, the confidence will start to build. Yeah. Home wins are key, but that to me, that's the most encouraging thing that I saw throughout the, the year at Rogers arena is that the fan base was going up. And that tells me they're doing the right things, and that includes sponsoring this podcast right here on Lacrosse Classified. Evan, let's take a quick break. We got under review and quick sticks in quarter three, bumping it up, and then we'll get to Steve Holroyd and who you got in quarter number four. Stick around, episode 74, Lacrosse Classified on the Lax All-Stars Podcast Network. Pure Vita Labs is proud to bring you the highest quality sports supplements on the market. PVL products are 100% all-natural with no artificial flavors, colors, or sweeteners. And the entire line is also Informed Choice certified. We designed all our products with the athlete in mind. We look forward to being a part of your athletic achievements, helping you push the bar higher, win at the highest levels, and set personal records for years to come. 
Hey, this is Jamie Dowick, owner and GM of the Toronto Rock. You're listening to Lax Class, your go-to source for all things NLL and box lacrosse. Growing the game one podcast at a time. Welcome back. Third quarter action is underway here on Lax Class. Jake Kelly and Evan Sheminar with you. Big thanks to Dan Richardson for spending a little time. I think people are actually eager to talk to us right now, Evan. You know, I, you know, sometimes it's difficult lining up guests, day, time, all the rest of it. And and lately it's been like, sure, whenever you, know, I'm home, I'm doing nothing. Like whenever you want, yeah, as long as you want. <laughs> so, um, thanks to Dan for for spending a little time here on Lax Class. It's time now for some quick sticks. Usually we do this in quarter four, but. Changing things up here a little bit uh, for episode number 74. Evan, things I have on, I have the 7 p.m. cheer, which we talked about, where this is really a phenomenon that is happening all over Canada, and I believe the USA now. If it's not, it should be, where people head out onto their deck or out onto the street at 7 p.m., wherever they may live, and just start hooting and hollering, banging pans, whistling, banging sticks, whatever you got to recognize our, our medical frontliners, our first responders, our essential workers. This thing kind of born and bred organically, but I think it's it's just the perfect way to kind of recognize these people. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that happens here or not. I mean, I I haven't really stuck my head out at that time. Well, you should. So Start maybe it, Evan. I need to tonight. Yeah, well, just do it. podcast right around the time I need to get my head outside. So, yeah. Okay. Tonight we're doing it. Perfect. Love to hear it. Uh, I know it started out very slowly here in Port Coquillum, but it has gained a lot of steam. I I think it actually started in downtown Vancouver and Falls Creek, where it's kind of like an enclosed circumference. So it really got loud, and then people kind of picked it up and started to do it other places, and now everybody's doing it. So I I highly suggest you do that. And, and on the lines of those um, people – couple of mentions here. First to, to Joe Sai from the San Diego Seals, the owner of the Seals, and his massive donation of N95 masks. And uh, us a little closer to the heart, Evan and the Urban family, who have donated the use of their RVs to nurses and doctors who need to isolate themselves from their families to not infect them while they work on the front lines. Uh, two great owners in the National Lacrosse League, pouring out their heart and doing two phenomenal things to, to help humanity here. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, uh, I can only imagine for Western RV, this is not an uh, easy time of the year. This is supposed to be their busiest time of the year trying to sell uh, RVs. And I can't imagine they're getting too many sold uh, with all the uncertainty right now. So, you know what you got excess inventory you can help it's a great way to help absolutely uh proud to work for the urban family for sure uh tiktok evan i don't know if you saw jenner's latest installment uh, as the accursy the no mercies evan have started to challenge uh some some nll personalities around the league to to keep up with theirs as, as jenner said it took him 358 takes but he got it have you seen this it was like a hyper turbo speed macarena or something i thought he gave up on tiktok after he dropped his phone <laughs> off the balcony <laughs> that's an expensive tiktok yeah there's there's some interesting ones uh Jeff and Lindsay Shatler. Oh my goodness! Really, really interesting ones going they, on. Uh, I think they, well, they've been borrowing one yeah. of those clothes a little too yeah. much. Uh, but speaking yeah. of alcohol, uh, I, I think some may be factored into to their. <laughs> 
but they are absolute gold. Check those out. Shatler Academy. You can watch their TikToks. Um, what else do I got down here? Just BCLA coming out. WLA, BC Junior, Delane their talks they were supposed to meet april 15th they've pushed this back evan we know this is going to go much much longer than we expected so expect more of these dates to come out oh by the way i'm going to be on otcb this week with with teddy so look for that coming out on thursday and his uh 20 for 20 uh feature that he's having and uh why am i going on the 20 this is my 20th year evan of broadcasting i can't believe that my goodness. yeah <laughs> i know <laughs> I well, know, if you had man. to count how many arenas you broadcast in, yeah, that, that I still, yeah, I, I'll have to. That would be. I got time. I got time. I should maybe look into that. Um, anyways, let's move along from that. A uh, couple more NLL notes here. Uh, check out their Spotify, Evan. They've put out some playlists for each team, and then an NLL playlist. Uh, everybody can use a good playlist. I think this is pretty cool. NLL on Spotify. I'm just getting through the games on uh, on True Classics right now, mm. and uh, yeah, once again, the, that whole point of uh, how far the broadcasts have come, you start to start <laughs> noticing on a few of these. It's like, yeah, arena cam. That's definitely an arena cam. There you go. Uh, last one I got here from the NLL is they completed the longest pass in in history. I've been going from San Diego to Halifax. Uh, each player in each market making a little pass on Instagram there. Did you watch that? I saw it, and it's like, and of course, I've dealt with, I've studied geography for years. I'm like, there's a shorter way to do this. Of course. Right? Of, like, course. <laughs> of course, leave it to you to, to work on the geography. Um, all right, Evan, I think it's time now. We haven't done it for a couple of weeks. Let's go under review. It's time for Under Review, presented by G. Wilson Construction. Each week, Jake and Evan answer a listener's question or break down an unusual call that happened in a game. The challenge flag has been thrown, so now it's time to take the matter under review. Under Review, brought to you by G. Wilson Construction, building fine custom homes all over the place. Uh, They've put the, the big castle up there for uh thomas tull on hold um but they'll get back at it and when they do make sure you got your resume submitted to g wilson construction and maybe start your career building fine custom homes with our friends at g wilson construction out there in vancouver whistler you name it uh Big thanks to them for their support and for sponsoring Under Review. And, Evan, we haven't done Under Review for a couple of weeks, but we want to, so we're going to. And and this week we're going to talk about – I've had a lot of – not recently, but over the last few months, had a lot of people asking about different moves on roster, protected players, practice players, unrestricted, restricted, franchise, all the different holdout lists, all these different – labels for roster moves in the National Lacrosse League. And I want you to try and break this down and make this as concise and as clear as possible for the listeners. Yeah, and I'm going to guarantee you I'm probably missing a couple things on this list because uh, there are so many different lists. And that's one thing that maybe they need to take a look at and clean up a bit because there's so many lists 
A lot of loopholes. A lot of loopholes for players to kind of move around without being penalized, or you know, if they're they're hurt but they're not really hurt, but they're going on the IR, that kind of thing. There's there's ways to manipulate roster moves here so you you don't penalize yourself. All right. Okay. Let's start with some basics here. So roster size, and this is basically kind of where it lays down. Before the season starts, you can have up to 40 players signed to your active roster. Now, but by the time you get to the week before the season starts, you must have that down to 21 active roster players. And you can have an additional four practice roster players. Now, the practice roster players, they can come to practice. They can participate in practices. They cannot be on the floor for anything beyond the first warm-up. The first warm-up, they can be out there. They can't be there for the second one. Um, and they can't play. Uh, and the pay, to be frankly honest, is pretty poor with this. It is, I believe it went up to 2000 US dollars for the season. Uh, so these are guys that are still trying to hang on to the, to, the, to the league and what have you. And to be honest, a lot of these players do actually play in things like the ALL and whatnot just to get more games in. Now, these practice roster players, two things with it. One is that when you're put onto a practice roster, you are allowed to, if, if a team asks you to go onto a practice roster, you are allowed to reject it. That is one thing that is absolute. We've seen that happen a few times. It doesn't happen too right. often. Fournier, probably say, the last one to do it. Yeah. But you can say, sorry, I don't, I don't want to go on there and, and take their chances elsewhere. Um, the other thing is, is that at the end of every season, they become free agents unless the player voluntarily goes and decides to uh, restrict themselves with the team. And we actually did see that happen. This offseason, uh, Devlin Shanahan, for example, was one of those players that did that. Now, when we look at free agency, there's a few different, there's four different categories we could be looking at. One is a restricted free agent. One is a restricted agent subject to a qualifying offer. One's an unrestricted free agent. And one's an unrestricted free agent that can reject the franchise. Hey. It's already starting to confuse you, I can tell you. So here's, let's start with this. Restricted free agent means you have, your contract has ended, however, you have not reached the age 30. Therefore, you are allowed to go and seek out another uh, contract with any other team. However, if you do sign an offer sheet with another team, your old team has 72 hours to match your offer. And if so they can match the offer or they can take the compensation, that's up to them. There is this one category which is restricted free agent subject to a qualifying offer. And the way that one player explained it to me one time was that the qualifying offer means you have to have received at least a 5% raise from the prior year. So the team has to make you an offer to say, here, we're going to give you a 5% raise over next year doesn't necessarily have to be the contract you ultimately sign, but if they don't make that qualifying offer to you, you become an unrestricted free agent. So that's why they would want to do that. UFAs typically it's in the contract. You're 30 years old. You're free to go wherever you want, except for the franchise tag. Okay. The franchise tag states that every team is allowed to franchise one player over the uh, is over the age of 30 and 
they can protect that player. Now, bad thing, you don't get to decide where you're going to go play. Good thing is you get a 25% bump in pay. But then once you turn 34 years old, we get into another category, which is you can reject the franchise tag. So if the team offers it to you, the team can still offer you the franchise tag, much like Halifax offered Ryan Vanesh the franchise tag. He's over 34 years old, but Vanesh had the right to reject it if he wanted to, but if he accepted it, he gets the extra pay. So that's kind of where that lays in there. Confusing enough for you already? I'm just staying out of your <laughs> way here, man. Keep rolling, keep rolling. Okay, so let's get into... Uh, a few other niceties. So, for example, there's another thing in here called a player has been moved to the active roster, maintains the practice player. Yeah, see, tank. these are the things I think people are, are wanting to understand, Evan. The, the short-term okay. holdout, the, the IR situation, and this, you know, maintain yeah. practice player, but active roster sort of stuff. Okay, so in this situation... This is a player that's getting called up really on a temporary basis. And they do get a bump in pay and whatnot for the time that they're on the active roster. But the players voluntarily agreed that they will stay on the practice roster. So once, let's say the team needs to fill a spot for one game. Somebody's injured or somebody can't make it, what have you. They, the, the practice roster player agrees to maintain that practice roster tag. They go up and they can be brought back down to the practice roster without the risk of that player saying, no, I'm, I'm leaving the team. That's one thing that's there. There's a couple different injured reserve lists. One's short-term, one's long-term. With the short-term, you have to be out, I believe it is four days. So you, in effect, have to miss one weekend of the season. Um, but what that allows you is that if you are hurt, you still get paid the, the, and the team can bring somebody up from the practice roster or sign a free agent or what have you on a temporary basis to fill your spot. And, and it in fact opens up a roster spot to fill your spot while you're injured. But then there's also the season ending IR, which is pretty obvious. It's you're done for the year. And then there's a couple others, which are the short-term holdouts and the, Long-term holdout is just called a holdout. The holdout is typically where a player let's let's put Westberg into the con into this conversation onto holdout list. Last year he was on a holdout list for an entire year. Paul Rabel remains on a holdout list for what the last seven six seven years, and that in Rabel's case he had a contract. He didn't play the entire contract out. So there's still a contract to be played there. So I believe it's the Toronto Rock that still hold his right. They do, yep. And um, basically is that if Paul Rabel decided he ever wanted to play lacrosse again, he would actually either have to go play for Toronto or Toronto would have the ability to trade him. And Toronto doesn't burn up a roster spot by the fact that Rabel's not around. Box okay. lacrosse. Box lacrosse. Evan. He Box still plays. Lacrosse. Yes. plays lacrosse. Correct. Uh, and then you got short-term holdout list, which is commonly used, for example, let's say a player's got a work commitment and can't make a game. That's a, that's a common use of this one here where 
simply put, you're not coming for that one game or however long the short-term holdout is. You're not getting paid, but uh, the but the team has the ability to put somebody in your spot temporarily while this holdout is taking place. That's the typical methodology behind that. There's probably others that are out there. I'm certain there is. There's a suspended list, of course, right? Um, and there's a which once again you can replace that player while he's on a suspended list. Um, but I'm, I'm certain I'm missing others. All right. Well, if you stage. are missing any others, Evan, and somebody's like, oh, you didn't talk about this, then just tweet at us at Lax Class, at PXP for Sports, at Shem Lax, and uh, ask us something that you want us to take under review, maybe next week, maybe a couple of weeks. We'll see how it goes. But hopefully Evan made all that gibberish. Uh, you know, what I'm missing right now is physically unable to perform. I completely missed it, right? Oh, the pup. Yes, the pup list, yep. they call that. Uh, physically yep. unable to perform. That means you got a an injury, and, and that could be a long-term or a short-term injury. Am I right on that? Yeah. Just the, you can't... yeah, like a lot of these guys are normally, they're coming into the season with an injury, like say they got injured in summer league or something like that, right? And they're just not able to perform. So more or less, the, I mean, the, the, the rules here are curtailed to help teams kind of protect their players and not get penalized when they need to make some moves. It's it's very free-flowing and, and kind of there's lots of different avenues and, and riverways to take here to kind of maintain your roster. It's very GM-friendly, I would say. Oh, yeah. Let's be straight. I've seen situations where somebody has been consistently put on the IR like almost every second game. And it was almost to the point of, yeah, this guy's still getting paid, but he, rather than sending him down to the practice roster, <laughs> the Quinn the Quinn, Palace, the the Quinn Palace rule. Week. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. So hopefully that that's a little clearer than it was when we, we started this segment uh, 10 minutes ago. And uh, if it's not, well, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, read the rule book, I guess. Let's get to break, Evan, and then let's get to quarter number four. On the other side, Stampede Tax, who you got? March Madness, greatest box lacrosse team of all time, pre-90s bracket, and a little help from lacrosse historian Steve Holroyd, all next right here on episode 74 of Lax Class on the Lax All-Stars Podcast Network. Associated Labels and Packaging, a fun family company that offers premium quality labels and packaging with unparalleled service. With 40 years of experience, an extensive product catalog, and an ever-growing fleet of equipment, Associated Labels and Packaging is the perfect fit to take your labels and packaging to the next level. Hey, this is PBL athlete Zach Courier of Team Canada Lacrosse, the Calgary Roughnecks, and Peterborough Lakers. You're listening to Lax Class, growing the game one podcast at a time. Welcome back to Lax Class into quarter number four. That means no more breaks here on Lax Class. It's Jake Elliott. It's Evan Schemenauer with you. And now joined by... Lacrosse historian, box lacrosse historian, pro lacrosse historian, Steve Holroyd from crosscheck.com, Retrolax Films as well. Looking forward to this conversation, Steve. And the way I kind of always start off a conversation with somebody new that I've never talked to, and especially somebody like yourself, 
How did you find the game of lacrosse? And more importantly, how did you become a historian of the sport? Uh, good questions. Uh, good evening. Thanks for having me. Um, lacrosse found me, I guess. I, I, although I was born in Nova Scotia, I grew up in the southern New Jersey area outside of Philadelphia. And we didn't really have any kind of field lacrosse uh, history at all. But in 1974, a brand new team and a brand new league, the Philadelphia Wings and the National Lacrosse League, uh, came to town. And from the very start, I was utterly fascinated by this game that the, the TV ads uh, advertise as being the fastest game on two feet. And uh, although that league disappeared in two years, when it came back in 87, at that point I was old enough to buy a stick, go out and play. We did pick up box. It's just a game that spoke to me. And, uh, and so I've always, I was always a fan, but I treated my sports, whether it was soccer, baseball, I really like the history aspect of things. And with baseball, we're so spoiled down here with history. You know, back in the baseball card tells you everything you want to know. And it, it, as I got into lacrosse more, it just kind of bugged me that, wait, there's got to be more to this game than a league that started in 1987 or another league that tried for two years in the 70s. And I started poking around, and it turns out that um, uh, professional lacrosse, professional box lacrosse in particular, has a uh, very interesting and, and surprisingly deep history going back to its literal invention in 1931. And so I started writing about it, and, uh, and at CrossCheck, uh, my partner there is a guy named Dave Coleman. Uh, meanwhile, he was just he, he, he sort of came to the game the same way I did, fell off the area, uh, you know, followed the wings, started playing, and he was all about film. He was grabbing all this old film footage he could. So the two of us wound up getting together, and we put together a site, Again, focusing mostly on professional box lacrosse, and uh, and so here we are. <laughs> so I don't know if you're in the same boat as Joe Feld was when we talked to him last week, but you're going through VHS and eight millimeter and almost probably every type of tape you could imagine to bring these games back to life. And you've also you've also yeah, found right. a way to take pictures like black and white photos and colorize them as well, which I find absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I mean, that's a hit or miss thing. Um, but, but we, because like, I know the other day, I think we colorized a, a Green Gales photo and it came out red. And you know, that can't be the right color for the Oshawa Green Gales. But when it comes out right, it's, it, it, it's really nice because again, you're so used to seeing black and white. I mean, even with the original National Lacrosse League getting coverage in, say, Sports Illustrated, they didn't really spend money on color film. So bringing some color to the history is nice. And, the other great thing about cross-check popping up is ex-players have been coming out of the woodwork and reaching out to us. And, and it's not simply saying, Oh, great job. Thank you. I mean, that, that's, that's appreciated, but they go to the next step and say, Hey, I got this box of stuff that's been sitting in my attic for 30 years. Would you like it? And so, uh, you know, I, I drive up to Ontario, meet Larry Lloyd and get a box of stuff that no way. Is a name we're going to be hearing from. And it's got color photos, negatives. I get the negatives developed. Turns out they're color. The first wow. color National Lacrosse Association stuff I've ever seen. So yeah, it, it's it's you know the thrill of discovery is great. The fact that the lacrosse community, uh, particularly the ex players, are really really enjoying what we're doing. And I say that because I've done soccer history for over twenty years now. I was actually much more of a soccer player growing up. I've done a lot of soccer history, and of course in the United States, it's just an alphabet soup of failed leagues that you're covering. But players there really just don't care. You know, I have my theories why. I won't bother you with them. But the lacrosse community, on the other hand, they think it's great. You know, Jim Watson, Pat Dilford, Larry Lloyd, all these legends from the 70s 
um, coming out and saying, oh, this is fabulous, and thank you, and, 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 and tell, you know, write about it more. I mean, it's been a great, very rewarding experience across yeah, the board. absolutely, man. And, and these are guys from the 70s. Like, I know, like, my playing career was, was kind of late 90s, mid 90s late 90s and and it's hard to find stuff from that era even never mind going back to the 70s so i i think that's fantastic that guys are kind of feeding you that stuff and you're actually doing stuff with it so we speak with lacrosse historian steve holroyd here and um where can the people go if they want to see this stuff i i know retrolax and just give them the website give them the the addresses here if they want to find your stuff uh, the main site is crosscheck.com, and that's cross with an E, like the lacrosse stick. Uh, and there you'll find uh, original articles about the various leagues that have come and gone. You also find a lot of reproduced articles from programs, uh, reproduced um, uh, newspaper articles, a lot of primary sources being reproduced. Uh, that's where you find a lot of the pictures as well. Um, if you like pictures, there's an Instagram account, crosscheck lacrosse. Again, that's crossed with the E, like the stick again, where there's a lot of the colorized pictures you were talking about. Um, and although you can link all the videos from the main site, there's also uh, on YouTube, the page is uh, Retrolax, which is our original name. And that's where you'll find a lot of the old footage, including a lot of complete games, um, a few from the National Lacrosse, the original National Lacrosse League era from 74, 75. Uh, a lot of the uh, major indoor lacrosse league stuff, including a lot of championship games and things like that. Uh, the uh, Some documentaries. I mean, you mentioned 8mm. We were able to get a hold of an 8mm copy of the NFL Films documentary on lacrosse in 75, wow. featuring uh, primarily the Philadelphia Wings. And so it, it leads for, for the first time. That's been on YouTube for a while, but for the first time there's a um, – a quality transfer, if you will. Mm. So, and, 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 and including the very first newsreel footage, the very first uh, box lacrosse game played in the United States was May in 1932 at Madison Square Garden. And um, uh, British Pathé was there to film it. Was, uh, so you get to see these guys wow. running around and beating, and, and, and you see a literal assault. I mean, one guy just, just swings a stick and hits another guy in the head with it. <laughs> oh, uh, I have know, seen that. Stuff. I have seen that. Was, uh, <laughs> was, Steve, was Steve Sable voicing the, the NFL films of, of the 70s? Uh, John, uh, no, but uh, John Cassenda. Okay, okay, awesome. Uh, yeah. who did all, who's the guy, the voice of God, who did most of the NFL yeah, 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 yeah. in the 70s. So, yes, it's John Cassenda. Very cool, very cool. Um, all right, now, what, sorry, when, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so when people talk about greatest player of all time, of course, most of the names that come up are names of recent memory. Gates, Tavares, Grant, right? When you go through your studies, does that – knowledge of the past sway you in and where you maybe perceive some of these greatest of all time? It, it helps. I mean, the problem, I don't know if problem's the word, but, you know, the, the, like most sports, with the possible exception of baseball, uh, the game has evolved. But it's, it's so tough to make an apples-to-apples apples comparison. You know, for instance, uh, not so much with the Gates or Tavares because I mean, they, they were still playing in the era when you played on both sides of the ball. But you know some of the some of the great goal scorers today, they're they're going out and and you know, using a, a hockey fancy stance analogy. You know they're getting these uh, offensive zone starts. You know they're not on the floor until they have possession and they're they're in their half of the floor, as opposed to the guys like uh, from the seventies, the guys like a Paul Suggett or a Gaylord Palace. Uh, they they were playing offense and defense. It was more like basketball, if you will, 
you, you had to play on both sides of the floor. You had to run both sides of the floor. Safe, of course, to, safe to assume you, you enjoyed that that style of lacrosse better, Steve? Yeah, you know, I mean, I hate to sound like an old man. No, no, but, no, no, you uh, don't. But, I, no, you but don't. I really do. I think the I think the both sides of the ball, it, 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 it's just a different game. Yeah. I mean, the in fact, when I take – I'll take friends out to the New Wings game, sort of doing my bit to, you know, proselytize. And – uh, and these are guys that grow up, you know, they, they know basketball, they watch a lot of hockey. I mean, box across may be new to them. And the thing that they find very frustrating is that when you have a clear, fast break, changing and up. then it stops. <laughs> as, soon as, as, soon as, you're cross, as soon as you cross the midway, like, you stop so you can change lines. And, like, what are they doing? It takes out the most, uh, one of the most uh, attractive and exciting elements of the game. I said at the beginning, you know, Gene Hart, great flyers, uh, play-by-play guy. Yeah. He did the wings play-by-play, and he would do the uh, commercials. And he'd say, yeah, box lacrosse, fastest game on two feet. And uh, I don't know if you can say that anymore <laughs> when, it, yeah. when it stops. Yeah. Uh, well, I hope you can because I, I, I do at the end of every every podcast, Steve. So uh, <laughs> I'm still I'm still saying <laughs> well, I mean, it regardless. Uh, it, it is. I mean, it, it's, they only did the fastest game for like half the floor instead of the full floor. But, <laughs> yeah, no, it's still, I mean, look, it's still a great game or we wouldn't be talking about it now. Here's what I wanted to throw at you, because this is something that popped in my head this morning, and that is there's a real chance we won't see the NLL Cup issued. There's a real chance we won't see the Man Cup issued. When was the last time we saw something where the Man Cup was not even awarded? I know. It's hard to say, because, I mean, my my recollection is that even during the uh, the, the Spanish influenza, that they managed, cancel, they managed to cancel a uh, Stanley Cup. Um, it didn't. It didn't slow down other sports. I mean, I I just did an interview last week for a soccer uh, a publication talking about the, the Open Cup, which is the national competition we have here in the United States, um, and that wasn't canceled not for World War One, World War Two, uh, an internal struggle they called the Soccer War in the twenties. Uh, it wasn't stopped, and now we're looking at a situation where. Um, it, it's going to shut down uh, the, the competition for the first time since 1913. Um, I, I can't recall any. I mean, they, even with the battles over professionalism versus amateurism that you had at the turn of the 20th century, um, I, 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 I can't recall any instance, even World War One, which you know Canada took much more seriously, much and much earlier than than in the United States. Um, I, I don't recall disrupting sports anywhere near as badly as this coronavirus is pretty scary stuff no doubt about it as we speak with box lacrosse pro box lacrosse historian steve holroyd from crosscheck.com uh, all right steve uh i know you're new to the podcast here evan and i like to play a little game called who you got and we're doing it a little bit differently here because of the circumstances so We've broken this down, 32 teams, four brackets. We're now into the final fourth bracket here, pre-1990. So we got teams that go from 1945 all the way up to 1988. And normally I'll say, okay, here we got the 6-1 and one wings going up against the 7-2 and two rush. Evan, who you got? But now because you're on the phone here and you know way more about these teams than Evan and I do. I have some some anecdotes down here, but I'll I'll kind of tee this up, and then you can add to it, and then tell us who you're picking to win this game and why. Make sense? 
Okay. All right. Perfect sense. Our first matchup is the 1975 Long Island Tomahawks. I was just two years old here for the Tomahawks when they moved from Rochester after winning the title back in '74, led by Rick Bisson. Steve, uh, taking on Rick Dudley, 81 goals in 28 games here. Dave Wilfong, Hall of Famer on that team as well. Taking on the 1945 Vancouver Berards, who beat St. Catharines 3-0 in the Man Cup. Frank Lee winning the Mike Kelly. Steve, tell us about these two teams and then tell me who you got. Okay, uh, the, the, the 1975 Long Island Tomahawks. Um, they were actually the defending champions, but as you point out, they were the defending champions uh, having won as the Rochester Griffins. And as the Griffins, you know, their, their top star was Rick Dudley, who many people remember as a hockey player. He's with the Buffalo Sabres for, uh, for us, uh, for real hockey Oh, I didn't know it was that Rick Dudley. Very cool. Oh, yeah, it's that guy. And, and for those of us who missed the World Hockey Association, including people like me who from the Philadelphia area would dial into the 50,000-watt Cincinnati station to listen to Stinger's games. Dudley was a real star there. And, of course, he wound up being a GM and things like that. It was him. And he was not only a great goal scorer, but he was like he was like Dave Schultz, too. He couldn't, he, you know, he scored 81 goals, uh, but he only played like a third of the schedule because he missed between hockey commitments and suspensions. Um, uh, he wasn't around. In fact, he wasn't around for the championship series because he was so wrapped up with the Sabres. But he wasn't even there in 75. The Long Island Tomahawks, after they moved, were actually a better team. Um, they, uh, they, they, they ran through the league 31 and 17, a plus 100 goal differential. Some of the guys you mentioned, you know, they had Dave Wolfong, uh, Doug Hayes scored 104 goals and 126 assists. <laughs> I mean, this was a dominant team. A guy named Merv Marshall was in goal. Remember that, and remember that name because it's going to pop up a couple of times. Okay. It was just a deep, te- deep team. Uh, you know, had three lines, you know, three deep lines. It just, But you know, as you often find with great teams, they would dominate the regular season and then disappear come playoff time. Hmm. They actually got knocked out uh, by the eventual, uh, eventual champions, the Quebec Caribou. Yes. And then, of course, the league folded. But it, it was... I mean, it, it, this team was particularly good because, again, remember the, the the National Lacrosse League started in 74, and actually it had a good first year. And so in 75, for the first time, you saw some British Columbia players willing to make the trip. They sort of sat out 74 because they think the thought was up. We've seen pro soccer before, the, uh, pro lacrosse before. It was an attempt in 68. It was sort of an attempt in 69. It was another attempt in 72. It doesn't work. Uh, we're going to sit it out. And then uh, you know, they, in 74, the National Lacrosse League was actually a bit of a hit. So you see, like, um, Al Luthwaite, who I think was with uh, New Westminster, yes. bar for years. Yes. Uh, he, he came out, and he, he got his 140 points. It's a great team. Um, so you had those guys who were the defending champions and then won the regular season the following year. Kind of hard to argue against that, even though you know, the, the, you know, the, 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 the Vancouver Burrards, 45, and like I said, they swept – for the Man Cup, they played in the close, uh, pretty competitive league, the um, uh, the inner city league out of British Columbia, which was you know Coquitlam and, and New Westminster and Vancouver and um, and Victoria, and it was a you know solid circuit, uh, great box across being played in that league. They went twenty and four. They had a plus one hundred and twenty six goal differential in a twenty four game season. Think about that. Um, I know Pat Thiel is a top player. You mentioned uh, the guy that won the MVP in the Man Cup. 
So those are the two teams. Who you got, who would Steve? I know, who, would I, who would I pick? I got to go with the Long Island Tomahawks. Okay. And it's just, I, I just think the modern game in 75, the tactics, I mean, by that point, the whole Jim Bishop, full court press, shot clock kind of thing. I don't think the, uh, the Vancouver team from 45 would have been able to handle the pressure. I got to go with the Tom. All right, Evan, who you got? I'm actually going to take Vancouver for the sole reason that Long Island couldn't finish the job, right? But picture that, uh, what was it, 48-game regular season back then? That was insane, right? And and mind you, it was supposed to be like 56, (laughs) about three-quarters of the way through the season. They said, no, no, we can't can't go that That's a lot. That's a lot. It was was a mess. Yeah, that's (laughs) a lot of lacrosse. That's a lot of lacrosse. Okay, I am – I'm going to take the Berards here as well, guys. Uh, frankly, went into Mike Kelly here. This team made up of Second World War servicemen. So these guys are just coming back from war and then stepping onto the lacrosse floor. I think these guys are going to be prepared to do whatever it takes to win this game. So give me the war veteran laden Vancouver Berards from 1945 taking out the Tomahawks. We'll post that vote up on Twitter post haste here of the podcast moving along next matchup 88 new jersey saints just the second year of the reborn national lacrosse league defeating the washington wave by a goal 17 16 in front of over 8100 fans uh second time they reached the championship here but they are taking on a 19th this is the only minto cup team that we have in this tournament here and we could not leave out the Oshawa Green Gales, who won, and check this out, folks, seven Minto, seven Minto Cups in a row. Jim Bishop, the coach for all seven, and Don Stinson, never to be replicated again. Seven times, seven in a row time Minto Cup. I can't get, this might be the craziest lacrosse stat I've ever seen, that a guy won seven straight Minto Cups. 60 Oshawa Greengales up against the New Jersey Saints. Steve, tell us about these teams, and then tell us who you got. Let me start with the Greengales. And, yeah, I mean, you think about seven Minto Cups in a row is staggering. But then, in a way, it's not. Because you got to remember, Jim Bishop pretty much invented modern box lacrosse. And he did it, I mean, up until then, it was kind of like hockey pre the Soviet influence. Box across at that point was really kind of an up and down game. The wingers played wings, the center played center, you know, and you just sort of kind of charged the net. And and if you got a shot off, great. Bishop saw in American basketball, well, basketball generally, not American, but he saw in basketball, hey, wait, the whole concept of a full court press, pick and roll, screens, you know, these are concepts that, 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 that lend themselves well to the box game. And he started incorporating it. He had, he had the Oshawa team. And he, I think he formed it in 45 and he kept developing players and, and teaching the system, full court press, high tempo. Uh, you know, he was playing like there was a shot clock before there was a shot can, clock. Can I just get the and record just, in oh, here, Steve? 220 sure. wins. 20 losses and one tie. 220-20-1 was Jim Bishop's coaching record with the Green Gales. <laughs> yeah, and 9 14. With that, I know, it's stunning. And because he, as, as he literally reinvented the game, it took, it took over 10 years for the rest of the world to catch up. 
and that, that high press style was just overwhelmed teams. And of course, it also helped that he had some really good players. I mean, he had the likes of Ross Jones and Gaylord Palace. Now they were on the '60 team, but you know, he, uh, uh, Larry Lloyd. I mean, he uh, uh, he had some really great players on that team, and so he had great talent in a, a new system that, that again, just people many many years to adjust to. It was, it was just a great dominant team, and then. On the other side, you have the 1988 New Jersey Saints. Now, they, 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 I have a soft spot in my heart for the Saints because they were one of the first teams I grew to hate with the new uh, National Lacrosse League, the major indoor lacrosse league at the time. Um, they, you know, they, they, they were the best team in 87, even though they, they didn't uh, get to the final. They, they closed the deal in 88. But you got to remember the early years of the, of the it started out as the Eagle League and then it was the, the major indoor lacrosse league. At that time, it was still basically, if not an all-American league, an all-collegiate league. It was basically a league of field players dabbling in box. Indeed, the league called it specifically went out of its way to call itself indoor lacrosse as opposed to box lacrosse because they took out, uh, they removed what were considered some of the more violent elements of the game. And so while the 88 Saints were a good team in that league, it was essentially a group of, again, American-based field players who weren't that familiar with box. And if, and those who remember at the time, if, if you want to know what a difference that was, when Canadians started entering the game, uh, which happened when the league expanded to Buffalo and then Detroit, because then it was a shorter ride across the border, because, again, this was a part-time league, you saw the gates, you saw the Buffalo Bandits come in and just destroy the league when actual Canadian box players were playing. You saw what a difference it was. So as, as good as the Saints were, um, the Green Girls would have just ran them off the floor. So I'm going with Oshawa. <laughs> okay, Evan, pretty hard to argue with that. Safe to assume you're taking the seven-time Minto Cup champion Green Girls here. Well, I'm taking the Saints. Oh. The reason I'm taking the Saints is that <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I respect all those titles in a row, but for one reason, and that is when you put – the men up against the boys. I got a hard time believing the boys would win. Okay, this. Well, I'm gonna give, take me, give me seven-time champion Don Stinson. Give me one of the greatest players of all time in Gaylord Palace. And give me the coaching brilliance of one Jim Bishop. Uh, I'll take the Green Gales from 1960. Thank you very much. Two matchups down, two to go here on Stampede Tax. Who you got, uh, by the way, Stampede Tack and Western Wear still open for business. You can find them online at stampede.ca or you can call 1-800-745-5511. They got limited hours at the store right now, but they will do their very best to help you get set up with ever. You may need boots, jeans, jackets, accessories, motorcycle leathers, you name it. Stampede.ca, shopping online, still shopping local. Make sure you support the sponsor, uh, okay, 1974 Philly Wings led by John Grant Sr. and the aforementioned Larry Lloyd. These guys put up like 400 points between the two of them. Taking on the 1987 Brooklyn Redmen, this unit was no slouch either. They went undefeated for three years, 84 games straight they won. They beat the Bellies in seven in the Man Cup, however, in 87 at the end of that run. Brooklyn Redmen, 1987-1974 Philly Wings. Steve, tell us about these teams and then tell us who you got. All right, well, I'll, I'll try to adhere to a time limit on this one because I can go on about my Philadelphia Wings <laughs> yes. forever. I have a real Please. soft spot in my heart 
for this team. This is the team that introduced me to the game. And you can't, was there ever a team with a better pedigree? The general manager was Jack Bionda, right? The coach was Bobby Allen. And the team was loaded up with a bunch of Peterborough Lakers players. Oh, you know, it, was, it was Quan it was Collins. It was John Grant Sr. It was Wayne Platt in goal. You know, Jimmy Watson. And then in the draft, they stole from Jim Bishop, one of his better players, Larry Lloyd, who, who winds up running up, you know, ringing up all kinds of points. This is a great team that ran through that league in the regular season in 74, uh, got to the finals and lost in the finals to Rochester. But, you know, they didn't have Carm Collins. They had a shoulder separation. It was really the heart of the team. But, you know, you had, like you said, Grant, 78 goals, 89 assists for 167 points. Lloyd, 82, 91 for 173. Platt, if you look at the footage, and it's, again, plugged plenty of it uh, on the cross-check site, Platt is just this acrobatic, post-to-post netminder that, uh, you know, nothing like what you see today uh, in, in, in today's game because he's not padded up like the Michelin man. Um, just great, exciting, hard-hitting, just a fabulous team. Uh, Bobby Allen was a great coach with the Peterborough style. By the way, I just found this out. Bit of trivia, you know. We all love the behind-the-back shots. Mm. And in 74, it was Grant Sr. Sr., what he could do, he would do that. And then the first time I picked up a stick, I spent hours trying to copy that behind-the-back pass, never mind the shot. I just found out last week that in, in, in the Peterborough area, that's called a Bobby Allen. Oh. Apparently, he kind of invented he kind of invented that, and he was coaching these guys, right? So, uh, yeah, pretty good group. And, again, they didn't win the title. But I, my personally, I think, Winning playoffs is kind of overrated as opposed to regular season excellence. So that's why I'm glad to see the 74 wings on the list. Um, and then they're going up against the Brooklyn Redmond. And, you know, story team, great run. But uh, I, I, I – There's I, no I, way you're picking me, against I, the wings here. There's no way. Yeah, not, not only just based on, like, just, you know, loyalty, but I'm just of a mind. And I know professionalism, it's in quotes when you're talking about some of the money – these national across league guys are making, but I'll take a pro team over an amateur team anytime. And the Brooklyn Redmen, great, great players. The Gates were there along the way. You know, Derek Keenan, all those great guys. Mm-hmm. Ted Sawicki, who wound up starring in the MILL with Detroit. No, I'm going with the Wings. Okay. Evan, who you got? <laughs> no, I don't know if you know this, Steve. Derek Keenan, we we laughed about this, is on five teams in this entire bracket. Five. No, no, not that, <laughs> not this bracket. Uh, well, no, but, but the, this the entire. entire yeah. Out of the 32, yeah, which is. He's got a team in every bracket and plus. In every decade, yeah. yeah. In every decade two plus in the 90s. two and two in the 90s. There you go, yeah. Okay, so, who you got, Evan? So, so I'm going to be very interested if Jake picks against Jammer. That would be very interesting. Um, but I got to agree with. Those names that were on that Philly team, era to era, I will take the wings, despite the fact the Gates were on that Brooklyn team. You know, it's still very early in their career. So, I, well, let's take the wings on this one. Yeah, 84 games in a row. You want to talk about a one-game showdown? When you win eight, that's 84 one-game showdowns in a row. But 84 games in a row over a three-year span. Like, this – Jack Bionda. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking the Redmen. I'm taking the Redmen here. I can't. I we no, we're gonna. They're, they're, they're due to lose. Come on. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I'm taking I'm taking Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Lacrosse Club, now known as uh, formerly the Brooklyn Redmen. Brooklyn Lacrosse Club. I'm taking Derek Keenan and uh, the 84 straight games uh, for, for Brooklyn here. One more matchup to go, and Steve, uh, I got a little tied up today. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie to you. I have no clue on either of these two teams. So I'm gonna rely heavily on you for this final matchup. The 1968 Detroit Olympics taking on the 1961 New West O'Keefe's. Tell us about these teams. 62. 62, excuse me. 1962, thank you, Evan. New West O'Keefe's. Steve, tell us about these teams, and then tell us who you got. Well, let's start with the Detroit Olympics, because most people are probably thinking 1968 in Detroit. I mean, a, a lot of people don't realize that the first attempt to bring pro box across back since the 1930s was in 68. A bunch of, not, not a bunch, but a handful of NHL owners in the East teamed up with the uh, inner city lacrosse league teams in the West to try to go professional. And, and the Detroit Olympics were the best team in that league. And to go to, it's funny, go to Evan's point earlier, he picked against the Green Gales with the men against boys analogy. Well, the 68 Olympics are basically the Green Gales as men. It, it is, the Detroit Olympics were Jim Bishop coached, and it was all Green Gales alums, including, uh, you know, some of the things we mentioned, Gaylord uh, Palace, Ross Jones, Larry Lloyd, Goalie Merv Marshall, who's kind of like the Derek King of this list. He's on three of the teams we've talked about. Um, he, he got around as a goaltender. One nice anecdote, among the players that Detroit drafted was a guy named Doug Favell who many people remember as being a longtime NHL goalie with the Flyers and Maple Leafs. But he was also one hell of a box across forward. And, you know, he only, he only got to play like nine games with Detroit before the Flyers said, oh, no, wait, you got to come back. But he was a top goal scorer, and he left, and they still went and, and ran through the season 24-14, plus 70 goal differential. Again, they lost in the finals to a new Westminster team, but that's just, again, I, I, I think playoffs are always too fluky. So you had the Detroit Olympics. Basically, again, as I said, the, the Green Gales in professional form. And go look on our site. It's also one of the best jerseys um, I've ever seen. And, in fact, I'm actually working to try to get reproductions done. The, G, the Detroit Olympics jersey, just so cool to look at. And then we go, then we go to the O'Keeffe's. Um, it's one of the few years New Westminster played uh, not as the, the Salmon Bellies, right? Um, yeah, tell me, tell me about this, Steve, because uh, this is this is interesting to to me. Why they went with O'Keeffe's and not Salmon Bellies for a few years? Well, it's it's basically uh, what you see every day in soccer now. I mean, it, it was a concept of corporate sponsorship. I mean, the, the Vancouver team changed names like every three years. It seemed it would be the Carlings, it would be this, and it was whoever was paying the bills, right? And so for a couple of years. O'Keefe's Brewery said, hey, we'll sponsor your team. So suddenly they're the O'Keefe's. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, it always you know, comes down to the mighty dollar. I should have known. Yeah. You know, and it's, uh, there's no shame in that because, again, I mean, it, it wasn't like it was a – this wasn't NFL football today, right? I mean, if you're lucky, you got 1,500 people to come out to the barn. So whatever covered expenses, I guess, you did what you had to do. But great team. Went 25-4-1 in the, in the uh, regular season, plus 110 goal differential. Had guys like Cliff Sepka, Mike Gates, and, and Paul Parnell who would show up for the professional version of that team in 68. Um uh, just, uh, you know, but what was the thing? They got knocked out of their inner city playoffs. So, um, 
But like you said, playoffs team, don't matter. This matchup is interesting because the West and the East play different styles. The West was a very much more physical style of play as opposed to what the East, even in that professional league, were playing at the time. Um, and so it would be like, you know, beauty versus the beast. But, um, uh, and again, I, and we'll assume for the purpose of our matchup, there is a shot clock. So I'll have to go with the up-tempo Jim Bishop style play, mm. being able to keep uh, the, the O'Keefe's at bay. I'm going with Detroit. Evan, who you got? You know what I brought out the old coin. Oh, and the old yeah. <laughs> we we sometimes when we're so confused we don't know what to do we literally flip a coin because the coin does better than we do, uh, and the coin says to take the O'Keefe. Okay, I am also t- I'm not to go against you again here, Steve, but I'm also going with New Westminster, where I played my senior A lacrosse, and any time that you mention the names Cliff Sepka and Paul Parnell, two of the retired jerseys in fabled Queens Park Arena. These guys are absolute legends. I got to take the O'Keefe's on this one to beat the Olympics. That's a tough pick now that you said that I didn't know that about the Green Gales all playing for the Olympics. That's a very tough pick for me. But I'm going to go with New Westminster on this just because it's close to home and, and I got all sorts of respect for Parnell and Sepka. So uh, that does it. We'll put the votes up on Twitter and then the fans will have their say on who moves into the Sweet 16 in the pre-90s bracket. Steve, I can't thank you enough. That was a lot of fun, a lot of great information, uh, and thanks so much for helping us out with all of this. Uh, my pleasure. I love talking history. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, people need to know this stuff and uh, anytime. My pleasure. One more time, crosscheck.com. If you want to check out some footage from lacrosse yesteryear, I highly suggest you do that. Some great stuff up on there. Also, a thank you to Associated Labels and Packaging, who I failed to mention coming into the program, focusing on people, ethics, and quality, also family-owned and still open for business right now during COVID-19. AssociatedLP.com or at Associated. LP as in labels and packaging. Thank you for their continued support. G. Wilson Construction, the Vancouver Warriors, of course, Stampede Tack and Western Wear. For Dan Richardson for coming on the program. For historian, box lacrosse historian Steve Holroyd for joining us here as well. Get on Twitter, make your picks, give us a follow as well at Shemlax, at PXP for sports, and at Lax Class. Finally, subscribe to the podcast, people, and then it gets delivered straight to your phone every single week. Steve, I expect you to do that right after we hang up the phone with you. And, uh, yeah, be safe, everybody. Keep washing your hands. Stay away from people. Stay home. And uh, take care of yourself and your loved ones, and let's all get through this. Uh, Another episode in the books. Evan, thanks for hopping on here. Let's get out of here. Episode number 74 of Lacrosse Classified is now finished. For the fastest game on two feet, and for the creator, we'll talk to you next time here, next Tuesday, on the Lacrosse All-Stars Podcast Network.